we're both it's funny we're both like oh we're a little tired a little tired but super inspired all at the same time i i love when the conversation started like that so sonia welcome to the podcast thank you for having me so excited to be here we're gonna have a lot of fun and and when you jumped up you were literally almost like jumping up and down and i feel the same like let's let's do this so real quick context for the audience we know that this is a podcast focused on answering the question what is the future of people initiatives and um, I think about three or four months ago, it was game-changing with David at Spirit Airlines and then Beverly at PayPal confirmed, hey, it's time to consumerize the employee experience. And I was like, consumerize, like that word, that something's up with that word until I looked up the definition. Reorientation, reorientation about the individual, not the organization. And then it all made sense, right? We as consumers outside of our world, how are we being communicated and messaged with? How do we now bring that inside the organization? And that changed my world. I'm now meeting innovators, and that's who the audience is. You all are innovators in this emerging market. You're probably shutting this thing off, right, at this point, if you're not the innovators. If you're way laggers, you're like, Adam, what are you talking about? Now, you're one of two areas. You're either in customer experience, so you're maybe in the marketing side, looking internally, or you're on the ex employee experience side where you're like, oh, how do these principles apply? In fact, I think this new emerging industry is going to bridge the gap between the two. But I want to talk more about Sonia because I just re-listened to her TED Talk, my second or maybe even my third time. I'm going to send it to my kids and my wife. She's super inspiring. She's a health and wellness keynote speaker, author, and a marketing executive, which is like so spot on for our conversation. She's advancing women by helping them heal chronic mental and physical health issues to be their best and thrive. Well, what a time. What a time to be doing this. She's overcome a lifetime of 32 severe food allergies. And from the TED Talk, some of them are really challenging. Maybe Sonia will share a bit with us. Um, she's fortunate to be in a number one best-selling book, Not Job. She's, her TED Talk has had over a million views. Again, I was one, two or three of those million views. Um, Sonia is a mentor to global organizations focused on solutions for the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals, creator of three Bs, be healthy, be safe, be well, really a holistic and um, holistic health and well-being program that guides people, which is, I think, fantastic. And lastly, and I could go on and on and on about you, Sonia, I was LinkedIn and I've, I've been snooping over tw 20 years career as a CMO which is so spot out for our conversation today. Sonia has transformed the stories and products of global wellness brands, such as, like we've heard a few of them, right? These are not like Apple, TiVo, Califia, Farms, Louis Vuitton, and at Sephora, where you've won 2015 WWD Digital Innovator of the Year Award. I do need to take a, a breath, because I was like, I have so much that I want to say. So again, Sonia, welcome. And I just want to start with, you know, just if you could share a little bit about your journey. I, I want everyone to go listen to the TED Talk, but welcome and maybe just start off by, you know, where you've been. Yeah, thank you so much. That You should do all my introductions. <laughs> it's so wonderful. <laughs> I could do it every day. You've got an awesome background. <laughs> thank you. So, uh, well, I'm actually born and raised on the East Coast, and it was once upon a time a tech startup that found me on the East Coast and moved me out here during the dot-com days, if anybody actually remembers those. Uh, I am an engineer. That's uh, probably one thing that might not be in my bio. Uh, nope. I did um, civil and environmental engineering in college. I came out here and I started coding in tech for a long time before moving into product management and then before moving into marketing. 
So I have a really unique, you know, kind of 360 degree view at business and at people within all those areas of business. And marketing to me was also, it was just the right, you know, kind of place I wanted to be in eventually. It was so creative. Um, it was really about um, behavior and psychology, which I'm very interested in. And all of that journey, the one kind of important thing to note is that uh, all of my life since I was three years old, I've been incredibly sick. It's chronic health conditions in the form of severe food allergies and asthma and environmental allergies, um, which has you know, tried to kill me many times, four times in anaphylaxis on the ER table, almost dead. Uh, the last time being in 2008, which is kind of when there was a true come to Jesus as it was my rock bottom. Not only, you know, at that time did I realize like, okay, I'm doing something wrong because why would I be here again on the ER table? But I think the other realization was that I felt like I was living life wrong. And what I mean by that is I remember coming to Silicon Valley and it was almost as if somebody had handed me a prepackaged life to live that said, here's the kind of job you get when you come out here. Here's how much money you need to make by when. You need to go with a company that you're going to IPO at. You got to buy your first house by before you're 30, make the six figures before you're 30, all that kind of stuff, which had nothing to do with me as a human. Or, or at my background or anything that I was dealing with. And that narrative was also ironically, you know, the same as the narrative in my health where Western medicine basically said, you know, don't eat this food, take all these medicines to suppress, you know, your symptoms, and this is how you need to live, Sonia. So in 2008, there was this big realization when I say that I was like living life wrong because Everything was just on autopilot by what everyone else kind of was telling me to do or wanted, you know, to see from me, but it had nothing to do with the actual individual or hu human as to what my, you know, needs and wants and desires or problems were. Uh, so it was a real turning point for me to discover myself, really dig into, um, these the core of these health issues which were directly tied into my ability to grow my career my ability to thrive in relationships my ability to thrive financially my ability to thrive in personal development it just touched every part of my life and having that realization i then went on a whole new journey and it's yeah Mark Twain said two most important days in your life, the day you're born and the day you learn why. Yes. Right? It seems like that 2008. And, and the way that as I listened to your TED talk, when you described, you know, it's the control, the attitude, it's how, how you approached it. It's not what you were saying. It's also, you know, not, what you were, not just what, but the how you were saying it. Your belief, it's, it's taking control and advocacy for the self, right? It's kind of like, what you did for yourself, you're doing for others. You reinvented your whole world, your life, work, like the harmony between the two, the value system, right? The, those limiting beliefs, um, how you approach food. And you discussed, hey, you know, it's even the cooking experiences. And what do they mean to us? That this is not just about consumption and a check mark, 
Um, there's so many places to, and you and I, when we were kind of chatting about this this podcast, you, you, we started thinking, wh- where do we go with this consumerization of employee experience? How do we approach it? And um, you and I share a common few few things. I think it's a number of things, but at least a few that come to mind. I've had a, a near-death experience, and um, I've gone through a really difficult time. I had also had to reinvent myself multiple times in my life. Um, but the puzzle that I'm trying to figure out is how do we help people, how do we help humans in the workplace? Mm-hmm. That has been the journey for the last uh, eight or nine years of my life with some massive uh, pauses in between where it's like, ah, I don't see a path forward. So I'm giving myself the permission now to ask the question, what would the path forward look like and for you to be the guide? And uh, you and I are going to think about the role of the manager, the responsibility of the manager, how do, how do they, how are they involved in the well-being of their teams? Mm-hmm. Because I know when I, my, my corporate life, about four years, the manager defined that experience. Two years sucked miserably, hated going to work, hated. <laughs> I, 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 I will admit now it's been many years, I had a few drinks in the morning before going to work, that's how bad it got. And then I know what a great manager looks like. But to, to go there, Sonia, maybe we talk about how do we get here? Like mm-hmm. the, the, the current dynamics of the workplace. I love the way you were starting to approach it and I just want to learn from you. How do we get here? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so interesting. We have built an environment um, with these compartmentalizations of our life, right? And I live this firsthand. We've built this environment, when I mean environment, this culture of where, um, you know, there's there's eight hours of work, eight hours of, you know, off work, eight hours of sleep. And obviously, we have seen the, the many minuses of that all blow up in our face during COVID, right? We're in such an inflection point in every single market, I feel like, in the world right now, the workplace being one. And so, you know, it was back in the 1920s that, you know, during the time of Henry Ford, who actually made that whole nine to five, you know, workday mainstream, you know, I don't know if you knew that. And, you know, but that idea itself, right, it was kind of, again, eight hours of labor, eight hours of recreation and eight hours of rest. This was back, you know, even starting in 1817. Um, And this is just kind of how we worked. And at the foundation of all of that was labor as value. Mm-hmm. Right. And that labor as value had no uh, there was no space in there as the human. Right. Bringing mm-hmm. value or having value. So I'm going to bring up some words I talked about earlier. Right? Robotically, mm-hmm. we have just all now pushed this fast forward to where we are today. Right. And so the workplace has really even though we talk so much about culture, even workplace well-being right now, you have to really ask yourself, is this lip service or are you actually ready to do the work we need to change all of this? Because the environment and the cultures we've built is such that, you know, Sonia Han, I don't want to know that you are sick and dealing with all this stuff. The minute you walk in here at nine, you are it in like our robotic state doing your, you know, work, you know, creaking out deliverables, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you leave eight hours later, you can kind of go live your own life. Obviously, we saw with COVID now, all lines are blurred. The one thing I will say is that 
there's so many areas in the United States that we don't have literacy. So we don't have health and well-being literacy at a young age. We have one health class and then the end. So that's kind of one area that we don't teach people as they get older how to take care of their themselves, their health, their well-being. The other area we don't have any kind of formal training or teaching is when you go from individual contributor to a first-time manager, we don't teach you how to do that. And unless you somehow have had years and years and years, uh, which is not the case if you're going from IC you know, to, to a manager for the first time, um, of experience even interacting with people this way, there's a realization that's missing. What's missing is, of course, you're now taking on the responsibility for probably a P&L, probably larger deliverables, and a team of people. But you're actually also taking on the responsibility for their well-being. So their guidance, you know, during their time in the workplace, their coaching and mentoring as they are trying to maneuver, right, the ups and downs of today life as it has seeped into the workplace. But we absolutely have no training on this. So I believe like, it's so, so critical for companies to invest specifically at this level to get these resources now. Because as you said, the, the person you have as a manager and the type of personality and they are and what they bring to the table has a direct impact not only on your career, but I would say it has a direct impact on your mental health as well. We can't divide how we should show up and what the impact is work and, and personally, right? And, and there used to be a time for managers, it was pretty clear, like this is where work gets done, go home. I don't want to hear about any of these things that are impacting your, your I mean, that was the norm. And you, as you said, Henry Ford actually evolved us forward in a way by only working eight hours, by creating those limits. And that was a progress at that time. We've made other strides over the years. The question now we're asking is where do we go further because the workplace based on engagement metrics, based on stress metrics, based on a lot of metrics isn't working and humans want more from life, especially when they see what more feels like like you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, 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 I, I would imagine you love your day. I mean, there's, everyone has ups and downs. But relatively speaking, my, my kids are 16, uh, 17, and 15. They both start saying to me, Dad, we want to escape the matrix. We <laughs> want to make sure that we get out of the matrix and maybe not even enter the matrix. By metrics, they're referring to a 9 to 5 with a boss, being uninspired, being in the grind. And there's value to the grind. I'm not saying everything must be. This is not about hard or easy. This is yeah. about from a human perspective. We don't mind challenges. We want challenges that align to us. We want some kind of... A, you know, purpose and, and meaning, and I'm, and I'm drifting. I, uh, this is the, the coffee and the, the thing talking now, Sonia. Um, so manager, right? Manager. You said coach, the role of the manager. You said being involved in the well-being of their teams, right? That's a, that's a paradigm shift for many, mm-hmm. right? Maybe some percentage are like, of course, I already do this, but for the most, it's paradigm shift. But I want to converge that with another concept, marketing, you are a very successful CMO. You've created impact. If you had that as a goal, how would you as a marketer approach the goal of enabling managers to do better 
with well-being of their teams. And it's not like you've prepped for this. It's not like a light question I'm asking you, Sonia. I'm literally like just going straight for the, for the thing. I'm like, let's go. Let's, let's see if we can get it. How would you approach it? Yeah. So, I mean, it's an incredible question. So there's a couple things, you know, um, when, when I'm running marketing, uh, you know, there's this concept of a playbook, a marketing playbook. And this is encompasses, you know, the strategies and, you know, the what, the how, the where, you know, that we're doing it in a templated fashion so that we can, you know, start knocking things out and, and really connecting with, um, you know, our, our customers. So think of a, a marketing playbook as this is like how we build awareness, how we build our brand, how we, um, you know, build human relationships and, and long lasting relationships with our customers. In the same, you know, notion, what we are missing today is this concept of a well-being playbook. And there's two facets, I believe. It's the well-being playbook for yourself, and then there's also well-being playbook for organizations on how are they going to think about this concept of well-being in the workplace, and what does it mean, and why do they need to do it, and then how do they do it, right? And that is something that's missing today. That's something I uh, you know, work with companies on. Uh, so let's just kind of start on one side with your own personal well-being. So one of the biggest issues that when I talk to people all the time is, you know, Sonia, I'm working at home now, and I'm just like, I'm just dealing with all of this, right? I've got the work. I've got the kids. I've got my partner. I've got the dog. We've got to cook. I've got to stay healthy. I've got to exercise. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to get my hands around it. Oh, and by the way, did I tell you we're all in like, you know, a two-bedroom house, right? So that is organizationally just there's, there's so many challenges across your whole body, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, right there to deal with. So when I talk about a playbook, there's really four core areas. We think about, you know, holistic health. It's your body mind, your spirit, and your emotions. And each of these, you know, we, again, Western medicine, what we've really, really always focused on is the physical health side. And we've kind of, you know, not really talked about mental health, starting to a lot more now, emotional health, spiritual health, and how that health and getting healthy in those areas also affects these other areas of your life, right? So think about a well-being playbook where you even have like four sections and you're now starting to create your strategy on, okay, physically, physical health. What's my strategy? Like, what am I dealing with today? What are the outcomes I want to see in the future? And, and how do I get there, right? We think about the same thing for our mental health, right? We think about the same thing for our spiritual health, our emotional health. And within this playbook, you know, it's, it's everything from a series of like deep questions to data that we have today, right, about your health, um, to the strategies and the actionable exercises you can do to improve things like physical health, things like emotional health, spiritual, mental. So a playbook is like your guide, your framework, right? This is what I built when I wrote Nutjob. Uh, mine's called Three to Be. And I talked about the same thing. You know, I saw this overarching uh, mantra that I wanted to be healthy, be safe, and be well in everything I do. 
whether it was the food I eat or the relationship I'm in or the company I work at or my personal development. I want to be healthy, safe, and well. So there's this concept, new, like I said, concept of a well-being playbook that you are really designing for yourself. And that will always evolve as you get older because health changes, you know, metabolism changes as we get older. And just think of that as a framework. Now, same concept, but in the workplace, right? I said earlier, you know, I think leaders have to ask themselves, is it just lip service we're doing about well-being in the workplace? Or are we really going to do this? And if we're really going to do this, we can't just throw it off to HR. That's not their role. You know, they're very, very new into this. And, you know, being able to bring in experts and people who are, have been doing this, you know, who have the expertise, who have the accolades to help companies, you know, create and design this well-being playbook, which answers these questions like, what does that mean to us? What is this environment we want to build? How do we build it? And, and again, think about there's always things that we're testing and tweaking, testing and tweaking to achieve the outcomes that we want. And in the workplace, it has to be something that is created together in partnership with the employees. And the one final thing I'll say is, if your employees are creating this on their own, and then they're helping you, right, they have their own well-being playbook, and now they're helping the organization to craft, like, here's what we would like to see, you know, a culture, an environment that's really rooted in health and well-being, where we as an employee feel very valued for what we are bringing to the table, and this is an environment where we can flourish and thrive, now you're starting to talk about really changing cultures to what we've all wanted to see for the last 20 years that we still haven't seen. Nailing so many points, I'm just gonna double click on one of them, the physical, and make it super personal, just super quick. Uh, getting on the podcast, very difficult for me. So speaking in public, oh my goodness, like a Russian a Jewish immigrant, like brings back stories from when I was in childhood learning English. And then I, I had a stressful episode a year ago, got, got into exercise. Not food. Food is still a problem for me. I'm overeating. But I got into exercise. Even this morning, I was at the gym. And um, there is a very clear link between physical fitness and performance. Very clearly. I, I, for years, my whole life, I've heard this. I've interviewed countless leaders that commented to this. Not until I experienced it myself, where I'm a total believer. That's the one thing I need to do to prepare for my podcast, to go work out. If I don't, an entirely different day. So we take that physical and correlation to performance, and we say if you are inside the organization and you believe you want to improve performance, that is one path forward that you have. Now, how do you do it? Well, HR clearly is not, you know that, that's not their world, right? It is under their, it's within their world, but this is not their core expertise. So you bring in subject matter experts, then you bring in, in my view, you know the the, the marketing mindset. Because you want to promote it, you want to teach the team, you want to inspire them, you want to coach them. You're now turning yourself into a coach because a better version of them, a better version of them is a better version of the organization collectively. Am I stating it back to you in a way that's kind of, that's resonating? Absolutely. So from a marketing perspective, we are always about marketing to people and marketing externally first. 
we need to change that to first start from within. Your employees are the, the number one influencer that you could ever want, right? You don't need to go out and pay all these other influencers, you know, for, for all this other stuff. What if we actually directed the, the, you know, those resources internally to help people to, you know, get rooted in health and well-being and to coach them and to help them and to guide them and to allow them to really build this with you, right? This is the number one issue that we do in marketing is we, we market to people. We don't bring them into our own world. What I'm saying is, you know, let's use, you know, the, the things that we've been doing wrong in marketing and let's now turn them around so that we can actually help people internally get healthier and well so that the business actually can thrive in addition to first and foremost, your employees thriving because they're going to be the best marketers for you. They are going to go out on your Facebooks and your Instagrams and your LinkedIn and talk about what an incredible, healthy, thriving culture there is internally, how much they love the people, the interaction, how much people, I mean, how often do you hear on LinkedIn somebody talking about, you know, how much the comp their company they work for cares about them cares about their opinion, cares to help them get healthy. It's, it's very rare. I mean, I never see it. So this is really a leadership mindset shift to bring us back to the core thing, which is we're humans. And this is human interaction and this is human connection. That's mar that is marketing, but let's even take that word marketing out. This is human, this is you know connecting as a humanity, to do what's right, you know? And, and this is the big shift that has to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm just reflecting. I'm not even jumping in, giving it a, a minute because it's also very therapeutic for me, Sonia, to hear this coming from you and, and you're an innovator in the space, but we're not alone. There are others who are waking up to these principles. And I think when we say the word marketing, when you have been in marketing, you understand what marketing is. If you're not in marketing, often it's confused with, well, you're promoting, you're advertising. When you talked about marketing in the beginning, you said you were intrigued with it because of psychology, because of the behavior. You want to understand humanity. And marketing is a way to create the feeling and the connection. Now, when you frame it that way and you say bring it internally, not the advertisement, not the promotion. Yes, it's part of it. There are a lot of things part of it. Yeah. Bring in the, the, the inspiration to create a feeling. Now, replace it with a different audience, right? Absolutely. So, so where I want to go next, Sonia, it's not going to be easy for us to ask the question of where, who should be responsible for this thing? This is the, a heated debate within the innovators currently taking place. I bet you there's a bunch of folks listening there's not a lot. Our audience is not big, but within that audience are the like like the heated. I think it should be the CMO. Why? Because, I'm not saying me. That someone is saying it. It's the customer experience, and the customer experience is about the employee experience, and the message should be owned by one person externally and internally. That's how we unify the brand. The other side. Whoa, 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 whoa! I am a CMO. I got a lot, of, a lot going on. Like I already own a big audience. It's everybody outside the company. And I think it should be the CHRO. And the CHRO should build a marketing-like organization, right? That maybe would be called the employee experience. 
EX or EM employee management world. So I don't, you and I haven't talked about this. I'm just throwing it out there. We're creating this emerging market real time, Sonia. If you, or maybe not, not one, you know, one size fits all, maybe it depends on the situation. How would you approach it? So I believe uh, it needs to be everyone. It's, not, it's bigger than one person, but you need people to lead the effort. I will say a leader, though, is not a dictator. A true leader, right, is really working with their team, their organization, their group to have these open discussions about how things should be you know, to, to guide people, right, to help them think even bigger than they might be thinking. So you do need to have leaders who can lead in this way, but, but this job is the job of everybody when we think about, right, the, the well-being in the workplace, the resources that managers need to change and, uh, you know, cultures to be embedded and rooted in health and well-being, to use these principles of, of marketing. Marketing to me is, it's building relationships. And as a CMO, your job is not about just building relationships outside of the company. You have to start from within, or as I would say, locally, right? When we're launching product, we always first think locally, let's own the local market and then let's go national. Think about your internal team as the local market, right? So you are the leader, you're not the dictator, and each leader has to take a piece, you know, take a part of this in order to really make that change. And I would throw it, you know, back to the other side as well, which are the employees to say, you have a huge role in creating the world that you want to see, right? So the leaders need to actually help create that healthy, safe, and well environment for people to be able to say, okay, I do feel safe to help you create this. So I think it's really for everybody to participate in. Totally agreed, but I will double click. So we're saying everybody owns it, and we agree that the mindset at the executive level needs to be aligned to it, for sure. Otherwise, dead on arrival. Nothing will happen. But now let's ask this question. Who would own the messaging around it? Meaning, how do you run campaigns for physical fitness? How do you encourage it? How do you, how do you send out the internal, call it advertisements, that are relevant and timely, that are segmented based on location and maybe age or maybe certain other dimensions of how we would approach this in the world of marketing, who would own the message slash campaign slash you know, results of this and if it's translating into the engagement with more of what we're trying to accomplish, which in this case, this example is physical fitness. Yeah, now I think, you know, someone like myself has a very unique background because I'm also certified as an integrative health coach, right? So me as a CMO, also having the background that I have, could I lead something like this? Yes. But I would say, you know, we might not find as many people with this kind of unique background, you know, overcoming chronic health conditions, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I have worked with companies who have 
you know, brought in someone from the outside to lead the executive team in this. Because again, like HR um, has not been traditionally trained in any of this, right? No fault of theirs. Um, they've had kind of a very traditional role. And then if you think of a role as a CMO, yes, it is all about relationship building, but this being rooted in health, being rooted in well-being is also a little bit out of, out of their you know, world as well. So I have seen you know, and worked with companies that bring in an expert from the outside, like myself, right, to say, well, you know, I've actually been on both sides of the world. I've been at the executive side where we're making really tough decisions, where we have a board breathing down our neck. We need to have people performing and productive. We've got numbers to hit. But I've also been on the other side, which is the employee who's been sick for so long, trying to make sense of all of it. So in some cases, you know, you it, it suits you well to have that expert coming in from the outside to guide an executive team and to really root them so that each one does take some ownership of all of this collectively. But really at the top, right, if you think about the CEO, it has to start there. It has to start with that person and then flow into the executive team and then flow into every level of manager and employee there is. Um, so I think both ways, right? If you have somebody internally with a background that can kind of take some time to lead or absolutely bringing somebody in from the outside. Yeah, it's this cascade. How do we create behavior change at scale? And yeah. um, this is quick and I'm not looking for a reaction, but it's more for the audience. Like as we're thinking about the association, ideas have been flowing. What do we do if this indeed is an emerging market? And you said one possibility is you bring someone like yourself in and there's only one of you, a big world. How do you accomplish it? And there, and there are some others like you, but it's very rare because you combine a number of things into a, an incredibly impactful uh, package, <laughs> if I will use that word loosely. Um, if we take that into create standards, processes, frameworks, because a cascade will require budgets and resources, right? Because now you're thinking about managers as in we have 2,000, 5,000, 20,000, and they're divided into segments, and whether they're virtual or in person, and there could be managers that are inspired, unengaged, disengaged, or the in-betweens. And the, now, as you start thinking about it as a marketer, do you need a UI UX? Do you need data folks? Do you need writers and content? Do you need a video production studio? What do you need to create the kind of content today that gets people attention and then channels? Are we in email? Is this Microsoft Teams, Slack? What times of the day? What happens if they don't engage? What are motivation? Um, need to pause there, but you see where I'm headed. Does yeah. this become a new emerging industry that has to answer a lot of these how questions so that organizations can look at the cascade? Yeah. And I will say, you know, I think I've been seeing it lately, very, very, very few and far between. And I think the definitions are different, but this concept of a chief well-being officer right, or chief wellness officer who is solely focused on that, then working with someone like myself, someone in HR, the, you know, the whole C-suite. Um, this, I think, is an emerging, if you define it in the way that we are talking, right, because it can, again, mean so many different things to companies. Um, the other thing that I've done at, at, at previous companies is, you know, 
think about like starting small prototyping, right? Mm-hmm. Having a pilot even with a team before you kind of, you know, get the totally. feedback. So at that point, it is, um, I would say, really necessary to bring together a nice cross-section of employees together in like a group, a new group, call it a well-being group. Um, but they are the advocates for talking not only about what they feel that they need to see and what's missing, but they're going to have incredible ideas, right, of, of how can we change, you know, or fix, fill in gaps of kind of the environment from where it is in the organization to where you want to be, you know, see. And that's where you, inclusivity is, is really important. Diversity is incredibly important um, because health needs of women versus men are different. Health needs of the BIPOC communities uh, are very different. Um, there's so many different aspects to consider. So that is something that, uh, you know, I've personally put into place, which is really beneficial. Chief wellness officer, right, you said? Yeah, chief or chief wellness well-being officer. officer. Well-being officer. Um, you know, like, I've seen that done really well, and I've seen it done so that there is one. And often the way we know is because uh, we ask, is there a budget? Are there resources? If it, that this is a one person, that what, what impact could they create? Now, they may be incredibly inspiring, and they may be that, you know, avant-garde of here's what we should do, and it's a great town hall. But beyond that, if they don't have the resources to go further, I mean, that's what, what impact could they create at scale and sustain? Because I think one of the biggest challenges now is the sustainment. We've worked with, over the years, Marshall Goldsmith and Susan David, Simon Sinek. We've worked with incredible leaders who have incre- thought leaders who've had moments. But then we're all so busy, we just move on with our days. Like, if yeah. more information was the answer, right, more knowledge was the answer, we'd all have, I think the quote goes, Derek Silver, we'd all have perfect abs and be billionaires. <laughs> right? That, that, that isn't the case. Um, Sonia, so as I think about this you know, application of marketing internally toward well-being, and we keep, we keep focusing on managers as enablers. I keep asking myself, you know, from a marketing perspective, like, what would be the simplest way to approach this? Tell me if I'm mistaken. All the way on the left side, I see one word, which is data, which you already began to talk about. What do they need, the specific segments? How do we understand them? The understanding today is data. Real quick disclaimer, subject to governance and responsibility and compliance. We're not talking about collecting more data than we already have. Let's take the data we have to understand them. All the way on the other side, beyond the, the educational aspect and inspirational are nudges. I think we're being nudged in our personal lives. Should that be the application? Would you see it the same way that at some point this emerging industry, this emerging market would approach this from a data to a nudge to bring forth wellness and at, at scale? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially as you think about um, the generations that are digitally native and how they work with technology today, right? So I, I do believe there's a place for tech in this space today. Um, but there's also a big, big, big place for the live, the in-person, the actual helping somebody, you know, to figure out what we're, what we're trying to solve and what outcomes we're looking for, right? Because if you just leave it purely to technology, the person has to be truly empowered, right? 
And, and that was not me for many years. And then it became me completely empowered with a ton of grit and, you know, technology really also helped me in my own journey. So I like the way that you've kind of positioned this from, from you know, the both sides of, of uh, you know, the, the pathway, the journey to it. Um, you know, but it can't, I don't believe it can be all or nothing. I think it has to be a nice flow of both things. And, and so think about when you're gathering the data. And one thing to always consider here is um, when you're talking about health data of employees, there's a massive privacy issues, right, totally. around this. Totally. And, and I believe that you and I kind of talked offline about uh, who would even own mental health data if we're now starting to openly talk about this in the workplace, right? And this is why having somebody from the outside come in um, and because, you know, there's probably debates around should companies own this about their employees or not, right? So this is why oh. I believe right now, especially, it's better to have someone come in from the outside and to really help the executive teams and help the organizations do this, which is why I'm doing it anyway uh, in my own consultancy. So, um, yeah, I think there's is a time period to really think about it as a big strategy project. And I'll go back to the well-being playbook, right? A lot of the well-being playbook is strategizing and visualizing and, you know, the, the future that you want to see of an organization or of a person that's rooted in health and well-being. And, and then kind of taking those slivers of like, now, how do we get there? How do we get there? How does this grow? Right. And how does this scale um, as your company grows? So a lot of that is done, you know, non-technically through right now, real conversation. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is done by gathering all that data, by, you know, having our, our um, themes and our goals and then figuring out, okay, so how do we achieve them? How do we achieve them? But the one thing I'll also say is this work it is not like we will do all this by Q1. This is a lifetime of work. Getting healthy, staying healthy, being well should always be seen as your life's work. And the skill sets that we need to teach people, not even just the managers of the C-level, everybody, is how are you able to roll and adapt right, to the ups and the downs, the ups and the downs. And, and that we don't teach them, but that can come together, right, these, these skills. We can learn that just by crafting our well-being strategy and putting things into a playbook. It's a new way of thinking. It's almost like a new responsibility. The organization would adapt in order yeah. to support their teams to thrive. It's, it's a whole new way of thinking. couple clarifications, and I'm glad you went there. Um, I don't think nudges will be the answer. I think it's part of it. It's more of the shift and sustain. How do we shift mindsets? And that requires interventions, inspiration. It requires a whole ton of things. But then I think to keep things alive, to keep it moving, is where we're going to need to get through the noise. Um, and by the way, for our audience, check out Seema's episode published around the same time where I, uh, she, she really drew the lines on the governance and data. And I'm getting a lot of pushback on the data. So I'm just going to keep pushing the envelope and getting pushed back because I think that's, that's I'm, I think I represent a lot of what's happening out there in the market as we're thinking about it. Last point on this, Sonia, data, and you're so right on the 
wellness data, like health, like that data is super sensitive. But I started wondering what other data could give us insights. Like if you, if you are working 60 hours or if you are sending emails over weekends or if you're not had a one-on-one or if you're working virtually, you're not talking to anyone and you don't have any projects that are active right now. Are there opportunities to look through that data to identify the possibilities of meeting them where they are and then jumping in? Absolutely. And we and we see these in, you know, different apps right now, if you're tracking your food or or, you know, uh, on on your iPhone where it will you can remind yourself to get up every hour, things like that. Right. But those kinds of nudges, if they work for you, again, we are talking about such a personalized space. This is why I keep saying, like, you have to meet people where they're at and what we have done you know in the workplace is for decades we've had a blanketed you know even set of benefits while we've had a diverse set of employees but we've said okay Mm -hmm. diverse employees you're all going to get the same thing all of that must 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 change right now even the world of health benefits total other podcast you know needs to talk about having personalized benefits now for people because you want to meet them where they are so for some age ranges, right, those nudges will work with, you know, use of uh, technology and advanced technology. And for other people, they won't, right? They need more of that helping hand. Um, and and in, for both of those really to thrive, the environment though that we live in is so important. The envi- you know, and when I say live in, that includes the work that you do, right? There's no more, we're not compartmentalizing anymore. You're home and you've got 24 hours in a day and you're going to work at some point during the day and you're going to eat and you're going to work out and you're going to have fun, et cetera, right? So, you know, you have to, it's really about figuring out how are you um, going to thrive, you know, in this new space going forward. So a lot of this is, you know, this, the future of really like personalized health and well-being, personalized medicine, personalized benefits. Um, and again, it's it's just really starting, I believe, because we've been talking about workplace well-being, but it truly, I think, means so many different things to so many different people. But personalized is a great way to anchor the conversation because as customers, the world is personalized to us and getting more and more personalized. Yes. Um, I, I could go on, Sonia, with it for hours. There's, I would be double-clicking on everything. The spiritual, the men, I would be just all aspects. But uh, I'd love to leave audience with one piece of advice that you could share. Something that, you know, again, they're, list, they're innovators. They want to evolve their organizations. They want to evolve into well-being. They want to support their managers in being better with their teams. What would be a, a, a baby step for them to take? What would, or what would be step one? So I would say for everybody, like strip away your, your title, right? Just come back to humanity and think about, you know, what is it that you need and you're looking for when it comes to your own health and well-being and focus on really identifying that first. And as you begin to really think through that, I mean, I love sketching it out or drawing it on, you know, drawing it out or or writing in a journal. And as you start thinking about that, 
Think about then how to humanize that. And humanizing that means you're now helping others with it too. Because everybody in the workplace, you know, is a son, is a daughter, is a parent, is a partner, right? I mean, we all have our lives. And I truly believe that we're really here to experience all the wonderful things that life has to offer. And, and a thriving career is absolutely one of them, right? We spend so much time at work. So I think if you're really able to strip away the titles, the ego, and just come back to yourself and figure out what are your problems, wants, needs, desires, and then take some time to think through that, and then you think about humanizing that, now we're going to start to get rid of these levels you know, that we've built that put us in compartments, and now we're going to start seeing each other eye to eye, and we're going to start helping each other and change cultures. We're going to get healthy, and we're going to do it together. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Approach it as, as humans. Look at it holistically. I love the no compartment compartments anymore. Sonia, super grateful for your time, for your brilliance, for your inspiration. And um, if you haven't, go check out Sonia's TED Talk. It's amazing. Sonia, Thank thanks you. again. Over and out.